Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. Henry Cruz and Eva Clayton have known each other for almost 50 years. These days, Eva is retired from the U.S. Congress and United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, and Henry serves as the Executive Director of the Green Rural Redevelopment Organization. Listen in as they share how their paths have crossed throughout the years in work around food and nutrition at home in rural North Carolina and across the globe. My name is Henry Cruz. I'm the Executive Director of Green Rural Redevelopment in Henderson, North Carolina. I'm Eva Clayton. I'm retired. I'm retired from Congress. I'm retired from the United Nations Food Agriculture Organization. Uh, Eva, why don't we talk about uh, how we got started? Because it's been 50 years since. Has uh, it been that long? 50 <laughs> years since we got together. Really? So I just graduated from college in 1972, and uh, you had a, um, a program with the church, uh, a feeding program, um, a health fair program, and I volunteered for that. I was forced to volunteer for that. My, my grandmama would say, well, why don't you go down to church and get involved with that since you don't have anything to do? And that was such an uh, interesting uh, endeavor because we got a chance to travel all over eastern North Carolina uh, with churches and, and, and having health fairs and things. We spent a week in each community, uh, and it really taught me a lot about eastern North Carolina that I didn't really know that much about. Well, it, it was an opportunity for both of us. In fact, uh, um, I had just accepted a job at Soul City Foundation. And this is a not-for-profit organization. It is a non-profit organization. Yeah. I had previously worked for the University of North Carolina School of Medicine, and uh, I accepted the job at uh, the foundation and was really trying to seek funds to uh, help our effort for health. And we are... We made an application to the Presbyterian Church, and that's how the health fair, we were really trying to find funds really for um, Soul City, but their response to us says, we will help you if you also do further. So that was the engagement. And really how I came to uh, see the, the ambition and the energy and the, and the all endeavor, I can do it, was through his grandmother who said, uh, look at it. Well, I certainly appreciate that because it started me on my way because soon after that, you offered me a job uh, with the Soul City Foundation as a, a field rep for, we were, that was so interesting because it's funny how 50 years ago we are now doing the same thing, but we, we were involved with helping daycare centers throughout Eastern North Carolina. Some of the same places I went with the health fair, uh, helping them get uh, food service programs, a kitchen, setting up kitchens for them. And in most cases, most of them didn't have a refrigerator or a stove. And because of the Department of Agriculture, you had worked up a program and they could get, I think, up to $20,000 worth of supplies. Uh, and that was sort of a, a godsend for a lot of them because when I walk in with the opportunity to, of, of uh, developing uh, a kitchen in a daycare center that had nothing, a chance that they could feed some of their kids, it really opened up my mind about what daycare was all about and, and child care. We started spending so much time on child care development, and you sent me all over the country. Uh, that was so unique, just understanding what child care was all about and, and the needs that the young kids, especially in rural areas, uh, I had no knowledge of, you know. Earlier, uh, the whole idea of Head Start and was bringing kids with an academic advantage if they could have a Head Start. But actually, they concentrated on nutrition. Mm -hmm. They say if you could 
feed them properly, they therefore could learn properly. I hadn't put the relationship of uh, nutrition and learning and productivity in a community. And, and why I think that's so yeah. reflecting on that is that here we are almost full circle doing it again, is that when people, when young people eat and learn, supposedly they become adults and then productive to the extent they aren't, then society pays a price for that. Yeah. So that was my first connection, you know, not knowing that later on in life I would serve you know, in Congress and serve on agriculture, then write the legislation for you know, stamps, what they call food stamps now, it's not a snap, yeah. and wrote the legislation for expanding um, a school lunch program. Sometime your early beginning helped and, and actually that nonprofit effort certainly it, helped me. It definitely set me up. You left uh, the Soul City Foundation, you got, uh, there was a position, was that Department of Commerce? Is part of community development. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And so I was left there by myself in a way, uh, and it gave me an opportunity to decide on what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I had an opportunity in Rocket Mount to uh, set up a daycare center. And that was my, after learning all this stuff for the past three years, I decided I could do it, I could run a, run a daycare center. And uh, the OIC of Rocket Mount, uh, Mr. Willie Powell gave me a chance to come in and we set up the first daycare center in Rocky Mount at OIC. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we were, the beautiful thing about that, after I left, I went to the community college system and, and I got a call from Mr. Powell saying that he wanted someone was coming from Roper, North Carolina, wanted to talk to us about this daycare center. And I went and met with Mr. E.B. Wilkins, who at that time was a retired school principal, and he was so interested in about what we were doing and said he, would, he wanted to set up a not-for-profit organization. And we went down to Roper and set up a daycare center there. And that became the beginning of our involvement with child care. We had a training program in Roper, North Carolina. And we ended up, uh, it was a rural... Uh, economic development program, and, and it was an OIC. So we set up one of the first rural OICs in, uh, in the United States. And it afforded us the opportunity to look at things from a different perspective because we didn't have other things that urban, cities, urban centers had. You know, we didn't have hospitals and, and uh, healthcare facilities. So we had to develop what we call a, a rural healthcare aid. You know, it was a home care aid. But we had a, a mobile unit. We had to, didn't have transportation, and I think that uh, uh, got us into. I saw healthcare as a big problem in rural uh, North Carolina that that I hadn't seen before, and how difficult it was to, because we didn't have transportation and we didn't have uh, uh, access to to resources that people in urban had, and and I think that looks like 50 years ago we're still fighting the same same battle but we're looking at it from a different perspective now. Well also um, you had uh, not only the isolation but you had the opportunity to connect with other groups too. Mm -hmm. And so nonprofit groups served in some instances the bridge between that distance. OIC was multiple counties, right? Yes. It wasn't just one county. And also the for eastern North Carolina OIC brought some extra resources that they hadn't had before. It was a national organization, so we were able to 
to bring natural resources and, and economic development there mm -hmm. because we hired a lot of people, local people, and we trained a lot of local mm -hmm. people. I think the, the thing that, that you got us involved with uh, is that you hooked us up with uh, Governor Hunt, I think, at that time. The Washington County area was expecting, expanding. Uh, they had a warehouse or the tree growing company. They were going to do a, a half a billion dollar expansion, and they needed mm -hmm. a workforce workforce development. And so Mr. Wilkins was charged and, and hired to go out and, and develop a program that could train people for those jobs that uh, warehouses were going to have. Mm -hmm. And that was economic development. And, 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 and of course, you needed transportation, you needed child care, you needed all of the services that urban programs have. And we were able to develop those in, in 16 counties to try to do that. Well, you got some money from the state, as I recall. We called it job training. Yeah. And we had job training. And we also, uh, uh, I don't know if this was connected now, but I know Mr. Wilkins made application to what we call community development facilities for mm -hmm. infrastructure for water and sewage. Yeah. And, some, and so sometimes those organizations work with local elected bodies to bring resources in. The, you know, a combination. Sure, of that was Department of Commerce, um, and, and during that time, we had the city council, the, the mayor, and the, and the chairman of the county commissioners, and the chairman of, of the city council, they were on our board, the not-for-profit board, and Mr. Wilkins, uh, we were able to get a $7 million grant from the Department of Commerce to build a new facility for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, it, it allowed us to uh, expand the city of Plymouth, uh, for about 10 miles out to where our, our building was going to be to do infrastructure. So mm -hmm. all that was economic development, stuff that wouldn't have happened had it not been for one little not-for-profit organization being, a, being progressive, trying to do something there. And I think uh, that said a lot in, you know, back in those days. You know? Because I had the opportunity to... Um, be on agriculture. I also had the opportunity to address some discrepancies in agriculture. And so black farmers came to me to share with me that the Department of Agriculture had not been fair to them. Mm -hmm. And in many instances, the organizations they put together were nonprofit in order to make that bold statement. In Eastern North Carolina would be Henry Grant, and in Virginia would be Board. And so they had what they call agriculture, a, a black farmers association. Mm -hmm. Started in North Carolina with Grant and some others, then expanded to uh, Virginia. And part of that body, obviously, came to me to say, we need retribution for the discrimination that the Department of Agriculture um, couldn't get it at first, and uh, part of the their continuous pressure was it lasted over several years. And that farm bill is something you do every five years. So what I was trying to do was trying to take their grievancy and get our committee to address it. They I got all kind of resistance and they wouldn't do it. But at the time I was helping to write the farm bill, they needed my vote on tobacco, okay? And I needed that vote on black farmers. <laughs> so we traded, we traded some opportunity. But the power of those black farmers coming to me as a, a group, organizing yeah. nonprofit, surely made the difference. It made the difference. At that time, I had been the 
the, the president of my freshman class when I got elected. And so we interacted with uh, the President Clinton, but having one, uh, three, four farmers from my state, a district, wouldn't have made the impression as when we had this organization from Mississippi, from yeah. Virginia, and others. So the power of that, to use that as a way of uh, uh, addressing other discrimination and the lack of justice in it. And agriculture, you know, has been resistant many times to the fair utilization of land. That's why we have land loss and other things in that part. But I share that with you is to say that as we now look at agriculture, part of that experience of not having had continuous engagement with small farmers or with Afro-American farmers means there's a big gap now in who's farming yeah. and who's producing. Not only with farmers in general, they're making different they're agricultural women. Farmers in general is an average of now 59 years of age. And so as we're looking for being engaged through grow, we have to find how we address younger people and younger. women. So that brings you full circle to what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, we had no idea, you know, some five years ago that we would end up being farmers. And that's so unique because uh, Kara and Dr. Boyd, you know, very good friends of ours, and we've been involved in working with the, the, the National Black Farmers Association, but, but uh, creating our own because what we found out that there's so much, a big discrepancy now, especially as minority, but, but in terms of small farming. And I serve on the Farm Service uh, Administration Board here in Vance County. And one of the things that we found out just last month, we had um, over 10 farmers go bankrupt, small farmers go bankrupt. One farmer was able to buy 750 acres of land, you know, because those farmers went bankrupt. But that's a big loss for, for our area. And uh, it's really been frustrating. And one of the things that made us come to the forefront is that we created something called micro-market farming, uh, which is less than seven acres, um, because we found that uh, we were working with the, the, the municip local municipalities. They had a lot of empty lots, mm -hmm. and uh, we decided instead of turning them to like community gardens, we started off as a community garden, but we became a farm with a small, one, one uh, less than an acre uh, lot. Uh, that we had, but, but who, do you need who is doing this farming? Are these are women or men? Women primarily, okay. yeah. Okay. That 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 really just it, it, it came to be five women, six women that were so interested in what we were doing, and just it started off as a gardening community garden in, in particular, and all of a sudden they found out that they could be farmers, and they were classified as farmers because we had a farm number, and then the city asked us to uh, to develop some some of the empty lots they had and see if we could help other people become uh, farmers. Uh, and we've been real successful in doing that. And so our focus has been on uh, traveling around, looking at unused land, especially in rural areas, and, and developing small micro-market farms. Market meaning that we grow for the market. We don't just grow what we want to grow. We grow what we have a sale when we grow. We have a contract. And we try to develop contracts for all of our, uh, our friends and people. When I left Congress, I had the opportunity to go with the United Nations FAO. What's the FAO? It's Food Agricultural Organization okay. of the United Nations. And part of their mission is to reduce hunger. In reducing hunger was their goal, 
And when I went there, they wanted to reduce it in half. That was the idea, that it would be, by 2015, hunger globally would reduce in half, because we didn't reach that. But nevertheless, how they approached it, we were to organize partnerships and alliances. And we didn't call them necessarily uh, nonprofits, but they were partnerships between those who were interested in many times, at the, at the international level, uh, I had partnership with the, the Catholic Church, International Rotary, partnership with the UN agencies. They were to put together these organizations uh, and bring their strength to reduce hunger. And then in national, we would go to various countries and, and, and we would get anyone who will partner with us. And many times they brought the partnership. But they then went to these villages to include how you grow things and, and where the seeds and things. So they brought women and others to do that. You saw partnerships, you know, coming together. Now, in the country we went to, whether I went to Brazil or whether I went to Ghana, what part of Africa, these, these are farming lands. So mm -hmm. I wasn't going there teaching them what the organization I was involved with was probably improving their techniques. Uh, better seeds, or better ways of, of, of growing those. And so what we would do is bring in that collective strength of both research and technology to these little villages. And they, and then women would find new ways of doing it. When you said that, I just thought about something that's happened. Well, you know, because what we did internationally is that we were involved in uh, developing in, in Ghana uh, 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 tilapia farms. Mm. Uh, and, and that was so important because they don't, and, and rice uh, grants, but they don't grow their own rice. And that was so frustrating to me that they would get their chickens and, and rice from Nigeria and not do it. And we felt that there was a big need. We had some experience in, in catfish farming, so we looked at uh, the same thing with tilapia farming. But how that, had no idea that I was, and I was just a, an investor at one point, but I'm over talking about developing farms in uh, catfish farms in, in Ghana. Four years ago, FAO asked me to go back to Ghana and to organize regional. We had organized Ghana and others right there in the country. So we wanted to organize what we call the Western Alliance to End Hunger. Mm -hmm. And part of ending hunger is to teach people how to grow food themselves. It's not just giving them food. It's to teach people how to grow. And also, if you can... Your component also has a, a interesting, not only teach them how to grow food for themselves, but also have it as a business. That's correct. That's so right. it has a way of creating income for themselves and some self-sufficiency sure. for themselves food-wise is also as to making income. Right? There was so much, there was a lot of knowledge, and that was what was so surprising, how much knowledge, like the University of Ghana, uh, had in terms of food production and, and farming and fishing. Uh, they were growing uh, on their uh, fish ponds. They were had had uh, chickens growing on top, you know. So the chickens actually uh, would uh, uh, the droppings would be nitrogen for for the fish, and uh, same they had uh, 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 pigs doing the same thing. It was just a learning experience, and I thought that was something that could be replicated in small villages there. So personally, they could have a, a water. Place and then still grow chicken and 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 and, uh, and fish at the same time uh, and eggs. All that could be done in one little development in, in an area. But it was the university was doing all of this work. But that that's what they do is research and development. 
there was no real practical experience. And I see that now. The same problem we have is that there's a lot of research being done on how to, to, to affect hunger, but very little practical experience in terms of how do we go in and, and, and really deal with it from a, from a rural perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to address now. And the problem that we have is that people, especially uh, minorities, have a real a psychological problem with farming as a religion. They, most of them grew up on farming, sharecropping, and they don't want to go back to that. And their parents, I mean, the children don't want to go back to that. And we've tried to show how you could grow sustainably, how you can grow in greenhouses, and how you could, could make it a very profitable thing. And I think that has been the, the charge that we've been charged with to, to try to look at farming in a different perspective, something that's manageable and that's fun and also uh, uh, economic. That, that's part of the economics of this, this community. has how many counties now? Well, right now we're in four counties, but okay. we cover all, all of 21 counties in, in general. Yeah. But tell me but, where, where you are right now. Right, okay. We're we in um, Vance, Granville, Franklinton, and uh, Warren County. Okay. And those are probably uh, four of the, the poorest counties in, uh, in, in the state. They are. Um, Tier 1 counties in particular. Franklin may not be, but uh, yeah. certainly all of them have an agriculture base yeah. and have some opportunity to expanding that in, yeah. in that area. But the other part of GROW is to have relationships with either health providers or hospitals yeah. that they could integrate nutrition into their services. How do you we have a program that. called Prescription Produce, okay. where we've engaged doctors, uh, both in the health department and in private um, uh, clinics, mm -hmm. to uh, in, in, the, in the four counties that we serve, mm -hmm. to write prescriptions for fresh vegetables as opposed to medicine. Okay. And this past year, we had 75 participants, 25 from each of the counties, mm -hmm. and they were very successful. We uh, 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 we had a grant from uh, Z Smith Reynolds uh, mm -hmm. Foundation to support this, uh, and it was very successful because they were able to get $10 worth of fresh vegetables every week. We have a mobile refrigerated farmer's market mm -hmm. that we would actually uh, bring to uh, the health department or to a, a medical clinic. Mm -hmm. And it was so unique because it wasn't just giving them fresh vegetables. You know, they had to learn about how to prepare those fresh vegetables. They had to learn, uh, and we also had to have exercise. You know, so cute because in, in the, the clinics, you'd have all this music outside and people out there doing line dancing, and the, the people, that, the 25 people that were part of it were getting free vegetables, so it, it really was a motivating thing because people wanted to come. It's a fun activity. Oh, well. yeah, it's extremely. And, and they were getting exercise, right. you know, and they didn't realize. And that's, I think we want to do farming the same way. How to introduce it in a, in a way that make people see that it's not as, as negative as mm -hmm. uh, it has been thought out to be in the past. But one other thing, the unique thing about the prescription produce program is that uh, we found we, we were in we had two doctors that really were supportive of it that we had committed ourselves to. But people started hearing about it, and we started getting prescriptions, real prescriptions from other doctors in Vance County sending you know, people coming in with a prescription that a doctor written out said, let these people have fresh vegetables. We, we grow about 24 different products 
okay. here in our, in our farm. And so we had a variety of everything. We want to introduce them to all kinds. Plus EBT, the thing that you started. Mm -hmm. We have EBT, but we, uh, we are the only one in the county offers EBT, mm -hmm. uh, SNAP, the SNAP program. Mm -hmm. So you can use the SNAP to come in and buy fresh vegetables from us. Mm -hmm. But we have a double bucks program. So we, we call it, a, that means that if you pay a dollar, if you pay $10 worth of you stuff, get you, you get, get $10 you. free. I so you, you know, you got, we call it grow bucks. The excitement is uh, I'm seeing where people are getting interested in agriculture in a different way and those who didn't think of agriculture in that way. And then to get to see the partnership between what you've put together between prescription and food and between the hospital and food and possible some economic food. Yeah. That's really exciting. You know, I think it has potential. Now, the one thing I have... Uh, challenge you, and I challenge all, all uh, non-profit, is that you should be cautious of getting too big before you're prepared to get too big. That sometimes, because we are vulnerable, because we go on, now our, our vulnerability is because our heart leaves our head sometimes, okay? Not that we're not smart people, but <laughs> sometimes we, we don't have the, the, the foundation to fall back on if one of our innovative projects don't quite go like we want, right? I'm just returning from Washington on, the, on this whole mission of, of rural development. And part of uh, sometimes is how we get funding oh, for a situation, the national government we will encourage the state and they have partnerships and then they will encourage the uh, nonprofit and others to sing. And with the idea that the maturity that we will be able to move independent of both mm -hmm. the government at that. So that's the challenge, you know, in terms of that. Um, We've been, our focus has primarily been now uh, uh, looking at growing small farmers, of course. But we have a cooperative of about 35 farmers now, and a lot of them are women, uh, looking at uh, this whole idea of micro-market farming. But what we've seen is trying to help them see that their not-for-profits can have profit centers. Uh, and the mobile farmer's market is one of those profit centers that we've created so that they don't have to depend totally on uh, funding from the government. For, for grants and stuff. And, so, and, and also from, from a farming, those are two avenues, of the, the not-for-profits and also uh, helping small farmers look at a way of, of generating income. And our focus is, is now turned towards, uh, instead of farm to school, because we are the only gaps are good agriculture practice, means that our farms, we have the four, three farms that we have can grow and sell to school systems or institutions. But they, we're the only one in the county that can do that. So it really hasn't helped other farmers in this area. And so our focus now has been do farm instead of farm. We're still doing farm to school, but farm to preschool. Because it takes us back 50 years again now. We're looking at how do you now introduce fresh vegetables and stuff to preschool students and daycare centers and Head Start students. And we've been working with local agencies in the, in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has been the, the focal point of what we're trying to do now with uh, developing daycare centers and having them see the need for nutrition. Um, I serve on another nonprofit 
um, that um, it's called Center for Environmental Farming. Yeah. And through that, we are helping farmers. Uh, it's a part of state North Carolina State University program and A and T. Through that, we are helping uh, farmers grow sustainably. Yeah. So it's it's an opportunity to make these connections. Yeah. You know, Especially to, in a rural area. I mm-hmm. think that's the key is how we can impact the rural areas. You know? I think we'll, I, I, I'm of the impression that rural communities can not only make the reconnections yeah. between resources that are but also they can begin to see their strength in certain areas when agriculture or in recreation or uh, in other ways of not only supplying but also living better in the area yeah. they can people want to stay here now. yes yeah. they're trying to give a base economic base and appreciation yeah. for what we're doing in this area well this has been exciting you know i'm just so glad we're back together again thank you so much oh my pleasure my pleasure thank you for listening to the nonprofit experience if you like what you hear please support our work Rate us on iTunes, share us with a friend, and donate to the project at go.ncsu.edu forward slash give to PJ. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gollihue, and our graduate assistant editor is Preston Whitworth. This episode was produced by Amarachi and Akaronye. Amarachi is the host and executive producer of the Fragmented Whole podcast. To learn more, visit amarachia.com. That's A-M-A-R-A-C-H-I-A dot com. Our theme music is an original score by David Mueller. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at www.philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play.